Welcome to Between the Banners, the North Carolina basketball show on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by the SB Nation Podcast Network. My name is Chad Floyd. We are here to talk tonight about Jalen Wilson's recruitment and the Tar Heels and the upcoming NBA draft. And I would not do that alone because I don't follow the NBA well enough. I brought in my man, Brandon Anderson, to help us navigate where uh, Kobe White, Nasir Little, and Cam Johnson may land. Brandon, how are you, my man? Doing pretty good, man. How's it hanging? It's hanging. I think based on our conversation in Slack, we are both having uh, kind of crazy months here. So we apologize for not getting back to y'all here the past couple of weeks. But June's a crazy time in the real estate market. Uh, how about over your way? Yeah, my job just keeps throwing new thing after new thing at mine. So, you know, making my way through it. <laughs> hey, how do you grow if you're not doing something new? Exactly. That's the way I like to look at it. There you go. Well, it as of right now, it doesn't appear the UNC basketball team is going to be growing tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, Jalen Wilson, former Michigan commit, number 50 overall player in the class. Decommitted from Michigan when John Beeline inexplicably took the Cleveland Cavaliers job and visited North Carolina, uh, has visited a couple of other places, but the intel suggests that he is Kansas bound. Brandon, first of all, do you think this would be a big loss? And second, what do you think he could have provided or could still theoretically provide for, uh, the 2019, 2020 Tar Heels? Yeah. I think that it is, it's a pretty decent sized loss. I know that a lot of what I've seen just kind of within our own community and just other places is the fact that we have players that could fill that small forward role. And I understand that, but I think my big thing is it, you always want to have a true player at any particular position. And I feel like given the nature of what the team is right now with it being so young and this many new faces, I feel like he would have been a good player to develop along with Cole Anthony, along with Armando Baycott, Jeremiah Francis, so on and so forth. Um, But we do have who we have now still and um I'm blanking on his name right now. But, Justin Pierce. Uh, Justin Pierce, yes. <laughs> Remember that exact like right when I was saying it, but Well we do it's have... because last time we talked about this you were kind of sleeping on Justin Pierce and I'm 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 gonna clap back at you about that here in a second. Yeah. And I'm still groggy, but I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely one of those I need to see it before I'm fully convinced type things. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. It's just one of those situations where we have a rough idea of what we'll get out of Cole Anthony. I think we have a rough idea of what we make it out of Baycott. I feel like we have a rough idea of what we'll get out of Keeling. You know, you could go down the list all you want, but when I hit Pierce, I just, I still don't know. But I, everybody, that I've seen a lot of people high on them. So that could just be a me problem. So I think what it does with Wilson potentially 
going to Kansas is it, you know, it gives players like Pierce and, you know, players like Brandon Robinson and Leaky Black an opportunity to fill that spot and not restrict minutes any more than they could potentially already be already. So it's one of those things where it would have been nice to have them, but we don't. So, you know, I got to deal with the cards are dealt. And to me, it seems more like a situation where Wilson doesn't see a clear path to playing time this season because of all the names you just mentioned, in which case he's not a guy that makes or breaks next year's team for me. He's a guy that, along with Anthony Harris and Armando Baycott, could be a foundational piece of the next, you know, kind of classic Roy Williams-built team uh, developed from within. But I don't. I didn't really see him as a great. I mean, I don't want to say great fit. I mean, he would be a fit going into the next decade. But for the roster construction as it is right now, I didn't really see a spot for him because you're, like you said, you're going to have Leaky and Robinson and Pierce uh, getting those minutes, assuming we're rolling with Keeling and Anthony at the one and the two. So for me not the biggest deal um for Kansas is a huge deal he would be their uh, highest rated commit which is crazy considering where you know how far Kansas has fallen under the Adidas cloud yeah and i still don't fully understand that but also it's one of those situations where despite some of the unfortunate luck we've had in this particular arena of recruiting within the past five or six years, they had a relationship developed with them. And I think once Michigan was out of the picture, it was one of those, Hey, like everything's still good and comfortable over here. You don't want to really get sucked into the unknown that is university of North Carolina. And I get it. Kansas has a lot of problems right now with the investigation stuff or should be. We'll see how that goes, but you know, I I get it. It's hard to, it's hard to ignore that type of rapport that you build with any program, especially when Kansas was so very close before Wilson picked Michigan. Yeah, that's a really good point. UNC kind of got in late on him. He had basically. I'm not sure if he had already committed to Michigan or if he had come close uh, when UNC offered, but it was clear that he was not the priority. He was the guy they offered after Jeremiah Francis Earl and uh, Josh Green and those guys went there. I'm still hoping that the FBI breaks this whole uh, thing open and Josh Green decides to renege and come to UNC. So that's my hope for how UNC is going to round out this 2019-2020 roster. Uh, it, any closing thoughts? Because obviously we'll be back here with our tails between our legs if he does choose UNC tomorrow. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't think I really have much. It, it's one of those situations where I'm, me personally, I'm kind of looking forward to just having the roster set. Whether he commits or not, we just kind of, It'll be nice to know exactly what we're going to be expecting from now until November. Whereas, I mean, I feel like this has been a really long recruiting season and that definitely probably, I mean, that definitely has something to do with 
transfers and things like that, but I just feel like it's been dragging. Man, look, this is the fourth time I've kind of discussed the rotation as one of the main topics on this podcast. And that's just (laughs) within the past two months. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just ready for it to all settle in and surely something else is going to happen and we're going to have to revisit it one more time. But, um, let's see here. I've, I've touched on the possibility of one more person transferring out and we'll just leave it there. But otherwise I would say we're almost set, man. We, we can almost uh, publish the meet the Tar Heels article again. Yeah, and we can focus on who's going to surround Dayron Sharp, who, by the way, today earned a five stars from Rivals. So that now makes two major outlets. ESPN, where are you at, though? ESPN's always a little bit slow on the uptake, but he grew, didn't he? he he's like 6'10 now, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he grew. Um Yeah, he's everything I've heard. He's just been developing physically and skill wise like none other it's it's just further proof that Roy Williams has like a third eye for recruiting it's kind of crazy it is and I'm really looking forward to now that they moved the three-point line back to international rules you put him and a sophomore Baycott uh on on the post you're, you're going to have a little bit of a problem defending that so good things coming down the pike for the heels we just need to figure out who's going to be on the team the year after this one, and we'd be all set. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Thankfully, as long as Adam Silver isn't telling us stories by 2022, we shouldn't have to worry about this as much anymore in the near-ish future. Well, to me, the grad transfers and the transfer portal has made everything so much more interesting because, you know, rosters are basically completely just flushed out after the NCAA tournament. And then we've got to turn around and determine, okay, who's going where and who's this guy? And over oh, and Tech lost all these guys, but they're bringing in these guys. And it's just a mess, but I guess it's an enjoyable mess. And that's why we're talking right now. So unless you've got, uh, Something else to add on that. Let's talk about the reason why we've had so much roster turn, and that would be the NBA draft. Yes, the draft, where my Man, blood pressure was going to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Brandon Anderson, Chicago Bulls fan. Y'all yeah. have the sixth or seventh pick? Seventh? Sixth pick. Seventh. Seventh. Okay. Yeah. And our- so what, what's the best case scenario for the Chicago Bulls, which I'm sure our listeners are extremely excited to hear about? Best case scenario, as far as I'm concerned, is easily Kobe White. Um, they badly, badly, badly need a point guard. We've had Chris Dunn, and he was so bad this past season. Like, it, it was just... And he was supposed to be like the doesn't make many mistakes, but also plays defense guy. He just, he did not show up on a night to night basis. So it was kind of frustrating, but then again, a lot of the team didn't, but I think that also <laughs> like all of that really does revolve around the point guard though. That's basically the quarterback on your team. You need somebody that's going to be able to get everybody in the right spots, be able to make plays so on and so forth. 
think Kobe will be good for that. I just hope that he's still there when it comes to that time. Man, Chris Dunn was my draft crush, what was that, three, four years ago? I, yeah. I thought that guy was going to be a freaking stud, but they got him, and, and, and I guess Zach Levine's more of a two for for the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, definitely a two. Um, Way too ball-dominant to be a one. Yeah. And, I mean, with that, there's definitely a fit, but Kobe's been moving up the draft board, so your fear could come into play. I mean, who do the Suns have as a point guard? The Suns are picking right ahead of him at six. Yeah, so the conundrum that is currently a thing is I'm hearing that the Lakers may actually try to get Garland. I don't know how much truth there is to that because there's still the what to do with Lonzo Bar, Lonzo Ball factor. Um, I'm looking at a mock draft right now where Garland's getting taken by Cleveland. So basically right now the situation is everybody thinks that Garland is going to go before Kobe, which whether I agree with that or not, and honestly, I don't know how what to think about that because I didn't get to really see him play at Vanderbilt. He got injured so quickly. And, yeah. I mean, he's still coming off of the injury, really, so there's a lot of question marks surrounding him, but people seem really high on him. So it's basically whoever is fortunate enough to get Garland or decides to get Garland, that next team that needs a point guard is going to get Kobe. And what I think is going to happen is if anybody higher than I, – I mean, if Cleveland or the Lakers take Garland, it's done. Kobe's going to be taken by Phoenix because they also very desperately need a point guard, and I think that that's a wrap. So I think you're going to see some craziness in the top ten with – you know, the Anthony Davis sweepstakes and the Knicks and, La- <clears throat> Knicks and Lakers sitting there at 3-4. And Cleveland doesn't really need a point guard. They just took Colin Sexton last year. So with all of that, I would kind of be shocked to see Kobe go, you know, five or six. But I guess it could happen. I'm on a CBS Sports, and they, they have Kobe dropping. And they have Garland at this is good audio. The joke that everybody makes on podcasts as they scroll through the man, CBS sports, your site is awful. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I mean, it's taken me this long to scroll up from seven to six, which is DeAndre Hunter going to the Suns, Jarrett Culver going to the Cavs. Good gracious. Almighty. Okay. We got Darius Garland going forward to the Lakers. Um, that is interesting to me because if the Lakers do trade for Anthony Davis, you could see a situation where the Pelicans take Darius Garland and that is the core of their new team with Zion. Yeah. Yeah. I, and honestly, with Kevin Durant going down last night, I feel like that changes the dynamic of the draft too because, well, I take that back because he was, I think his contract was up. So I don't know that they're necessarily be a trade situation as much as whoever has the most money but I still feel like just composition wise that it might have at least some impact Um, but yeah the Lakers taking uh, honestly the Lakers or the 
Cavaliers taking a point guard. Both of those situations are just really weird to me. I don't get it. But, I mean, I also am not a huge fan of, you know, uh, Rondo or Ball. So, who am I to say Lakers don't do this because maybe they need to do that. <laughs> yeah, they can – well, they, they, they just need talent that – LeBron hasn't already tried to trade. I think at this point, I'm penciling in Anthony Davis to the Lakers, and Kevin Durant's injury probably puts less pressure on a team to compete next year, so somebody like the Knicks could take a developmental guy, and then we would just assume Kevin Durant being out for next year, you know, let that guy develop, and then, oh, you have Kevin Durant to add to this guy in year two. I I don't know. It it is going to be interesting, and we will definitely be back to discuss it. Back to Kobe White, what do you think is the best fit for him? Because the Bulls are a trash heap, man. I, I, I'm not quite sure if I want to see that. I think it would be exciting to see him go to the Suns and play with Devin Booker and see if DeAndre Ayton develops a little bit. But what's a good situation for Kobe in that 6-9 to nine range? It's tough because I feel like and I mean, it happens every year. The teams that are the lottery teams, they all have their own unique set of problems. The one thing that worries me about the Chicago Bulls is they're hell-bent on keeping the coach that they have that is filling in for the coach that they fired. And just the organization is a catastrophe right now. The roster itself, I feel like, could be something that can develop into something. So there's that. I really don't feel like he could go wrong landing with Chicago or Phoenix because they're both teams that have young players that are kind of, you know, finding their, you know, kind of making their mark on the NBA. DeAndre Aiden, uh, they still have, what is this, Josh Jackson? Uh, do they still have him? Yeah, yeah, he was he was all rookie this year, I believe. Yeah, uh Devin Booker. I mean, if I had to absolutely pick a team that I thought was the best situation right now, as much as I hate to say it, it probably would be Phoenix. Um if for no other reason than my own bias, which is I know too much about Chicago, but <laughs> so I kind of hope that Phoenix is in a bit better of a shape that to develop and have a player like Kobe White do something productive. Not to say that Chicago couldn't, maybe they could, but I also know that it's just, and the things that I saw heard, read, just all during the Jim Boylan era of the Chicago Bulls, it's it's painful. It, it <laughs> They would get their asses beat and they would talk about how, oh, yeah, like they played tough and they really showed they had grit. It's just like, come on. Like, can we stop? But I'm going to stop there because I'll go on <laughs> the whole rant. That's going to bore UNC fans. I think Phoenix is probably the best fit. <laughs> what about the Lakers at four? They're, they're, they're I, worse, they're worse fates than playing catch and shoot off LeBron. There is, there is. And the Lakers would be very intriguing. I just, 
And maybe that's one of those things where I have to put aside whether or not I think they'll actually do it. But if they were to do it, I feel like that is a pretty good situation to be in. Granted, the Lakers had their own problems last year too, just not as great of problems. But I feel like their, their situation is at least fixable. It's a big market. LeBron was injured for, I don't even know how long. And once he comes back, I mean, he's pretty much the floor general anyways. Like he has this thing about him where he just makes everybody around him so much better. And that very easily could apply to Kobe. Maybe his development expedites more than it would with Phoenix and Chicago. So yeah, I think you make a good point. The Lakers, Lakers may be a good situation if they reach that. Well, if you are paying attention to the mock drafts, reach that far down to grab Kobe. Well, I think you have obviously Zion and then you have Morant and Barrett pretty well locked into two and three, but at four, you've really got the range of, you know, DeAndre Hunter, um, Garland, Kobe, Jarrett Culver. All of those guys could potentially land anywhere in that range just based on team needs and philosophies and whatnot. So I think that could be an intriguing fit, but we'll see if it happens. I don't really see the Lakers taking Garland just because he doesn't really have any experience above high school and the Lakers are still kind of in win now mode. I, that, that pick's still getting traded in my opinion, but could be a situation where theoretically Kobe could be playing with LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard next year. That could be cool. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Would... Um, next go, go ahead. You want to finish, finish that thought? Oh, I was just saying I would very much look forward to seeing that even if it's for not my team. <laughs> yeah. Um, next on the board, the team that made Jake Lawrence Twitter famous today because of his breakdown of Nasir Little, the Atlanta Hawks have the eighth and tenth picks. That seems like a pretty logical landing spot for Nasir, although I have seen Cam Reddish mock to them pretty consistently at eight. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that too. And honestly, I feel like that would be pretty good if if they landed Cam and Nas. I mean I'm still iffy on what Reddish can actually do in the NBA, but <laughs> I've seen crazier things. I got, I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter because they said that they were mentioning how well he played in high school. And I'm like, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but I saw a whole year of if he wasn't, if he was playing well, he was very ball dominant. Well, not even ball dominant. He just shot. I was going to say he was far. Yeah, he, he was hardly ball dominant, but I mean, yeah. every time he got the ball, he had to shoot because he knew. Barrett was basically going to be the ball stopper and to the point Duke still should have won the national championship if they got the ball to Zion Williamson more often than they did RJ Barrett. And that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. Then they also had Tyus Jones. I think Reddish probably got overshadowed a little bit in Duke's feed the stars system. And I think he's probably, probably underrated at this point, but 
it would be fascinating to see with John Collins and Trey Young already in the fold, that team running in transition with Barrett filling the corner and Nasir slashing to the hole could be kind of fun. Yeah, it could be really fun. And there's also the scenario that if he does get drafted by Atlanta that I'm praying for is that Vince Carter finishes his one year in Atlanta. Imagine getting mentored by that guy. That would be cool, considering that Vince Carter was in the NBA before Nasir Little was born. Yeah, yeah. That wow, is... I, I, I had not oh. thought of that angle, but that's absurd. <laughs> uh, ways to make yourself feel old. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, also in that range, you've got Washington at nine. I don't really see a fit there. And Minnesota, who NBADraft.net has him projected to go to at 11. And then the Hornets at 12, which I'd be here for it, but I don't really see them repeating with Miles Bridges on the roster already. But, oh, man, the Hornets. I, I, we're, we're not going to get into talking bad about my basketball team because that, that that's just a dumpster fire without talent. Um, <laughs> Minnesota could be interesting. I feel like they kind of missed their window with, the whole Jimmy Butler saga and Andrew Wiggins not really developing, but I could see a situation where they just fill in Nasir as Andrew Wiggins' replacement. Yeah, I feel like Minnesota would be an interesting fit. You got Carl Anthony Towns there. Um, there's probably some remnants of the Chicago Timberwolves there. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if they still have uh, – man, what's his name? Thibodeau. I, yeah, well, I think they let go of Thibodeau. Um, they did. Yeah. They had a few players that he carried over, but, um, yeah, that could be very interesting. I'm kind of looking at Miami with a little intrigue. He would fall down a little bit further, but honestly, Miami is one of those teams where they kind of get to like, they're at least competitive right now. Um, I don't know how that's going to be now that Dwayne Wade retired, but I feel like that would be an interesting situation to land in as well. I couldn't tell you outside of Goran Dragic who else is on the heat. Let's see, Hassan Whiteside, uh, Justice Winslow, who if you just Google is listed as a point guard, I don't, I don't quite buy that. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's room for him there. I I don't think he's gonna make it to thirteen. I, you know, I I can see, if not trading out of that spot, I I could see the Hornets just not letting him slip past twelve just because of the upside. I mean, he, in a little bit more open of a system, could really flourish. You know, and that was obviously the knock on him at North Carolina, that you know he, the misconstrued quotes of him playing out of position or not knowing what his role was, I think they were very, 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 very badly overblown. But just going to a system where he is the primary guy or one of the primary guys could unlock him really quickly. He's going to be barely 19 years old when the NBA season tips off. So I don't think he gets past 12. I think Atlanta or Minnesota is probably where he's going to land. 
And honestly, I'm here for him going to the Hawks. I think that could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that you're right. I don't see him really slipping too far. I, from everything I've heard, he's been able to prove that he has more to him than he had shown at UNC and, you know, kind of to wrap up all of that speculation or, you know, kind of misinterpretation, I guess I should say about what he was, what he told the press and all that and put a bow on it. It just, that does happen. Sometimes when you are in a system that doesn't necessarily flow the same way that the one that you came out of did, you have to adjust. And sometimes the adjust, the adjustment is easy. Sometimes it's hard. I think it was a little harder for him than it was for Kobe White. So that's kind of just how that went. I think NBA scouts are starting to kind of get away from putting too much stock in that. And yeah, I mean, he really could be a top 10 pick. Yeah. And again, every position he could have remotely possibly played was occupied by a senior, you know, multi-year starter. So, you know, we, we don't need to go back and make all the excuses for Nasir, but if, for example, Cam Johnson had gone pro last year. Nasir probably averaged 16 and 8, and he's probably in that tier right between RJ Barrett and DeAndre Hunter, you know, going in that four or five range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting to me as we kind of work our way down the board is how many bigs are going to get taken late lottery to just outside the lottery. I'm a huge bowl bowl fan. I would take him with a top – I think the Hornets should take him at 12. Um, I've seen him mocked everywhere from like 15 to 22. But just for the record, that's my guy this year. Um, a 7-2 guy who can block four shots a game and shoot threes is pretty awesome. But, you know, other big guys like J- Jackson Haynes from Texas, uh, Rory Hachimura and Brandon Clark are both in that teens range. You kind of work your way down, and Cam Johnson's just going to be a situation where he's going to be a plug-and-play guy, possibly in a rotation, possibly for a contender. Um, I've seen him everywhere from 21 to 32, which, let me just say, hats off to him to be 23 years old, not really on draft boards last year, and to come out, play the way he did, and probably make himself a first-round pick is awesome. It is a testament to Roy Williams. It is a testament to Cam Johnson. and I'm more so than Kobe and Nasir really looking forward to see where Cam lands because I think he's going to be the first guy to make an impact on games that we care about. Yeah, and there's such a wide range of where he's being predicted kind of within, and it's really dealer's choice. I mean, there is a very real possibility that Golden State will look at or could look at him. I'm not saying will, but it's very possible that it'll get to their pick and he's still on the board and they may stroke their chin a little bit thinking, hmm, we could never have enough shoes. not saying it's going to happen, but, I mean, imagine that situation. That would just be outrageous because I really do think that Cam is going to be more than – enough for any team that gets them 
he's going to be an excellent shooter. I don't really have any concerns about him finding a place, you know, in the league. Um, but yeah, I've seen draft mock drafts that have him going Utah, Philly. Like, I think I saw the Pistons were looking at him somewhere. Um, I've seen him all over the place, really. I don't even know. I mean, Golden State would be the obvious good fit if they actually could make room for him. But just because, I mean, why not join a team that's steadily competing in the NBA Finals? Um, But outside of that, you know, perfect situation, I think, you know, a team like Brooklyn probably be good for him. Team like Philly probably be good for him. Probably Utah too. I think I did a little research on their team. They don't, they could really use an upgrade at kind of in that small forward, uh, shooting guard position. So yeah, the, um, when, when I think Utah Jazz at this point, I think Joe Ingle and that's probably not a good thing, yeah. but I'm look, I'm, I'm looking at. Boston with picks 20 and 22. I mean, they're looking to add pieces to make a championship run. I could see a situation where Kyrie leaves and Anthony Davis ends up there, which could be a good spot for a spot up shooter like Cam to land, you know, with Gordon Hayward kind of not being the same guy after his injury. I really like the idea of him going to Philly with no shooters to speak of at the point guard position. Jimmy Butler, you know, more of a slasher type still. And J.J. Redick, the ageless J.J. Redick at the two guard, I could see Cam getting rotation minutes in Philly immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would be a good fit. And, I mean, they're playoff contenders too. Um, they, they, They're kind of like what Toronto was before this year where they would just run into a team that was a little too much for them to handle and they just get smacked. And I think that might've actually happened this year. I mean, they obviously aren't in the finals, but I think who did they lose to? Did they lose to Toronto? They lost to Toronto in the Eastern conference finals. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of case in point there, they're, they're right up there with, best teams in the east so um yeah and and i and i don't think you know to those listening i don't think anybody is saying that cam johnson is going to be the difference between the the 76ers and the team that is one what went away from the championship but defense is kind of bogged down on joel Embiid. i think having a guy who has the range and the competency that cam johnson has shooting the rock would be a huge benefit to them just with the way their offense runs. Yeah. I I think I said this when I was talking to the Utah blog, any team that gets camp or any team that has room for a shooter would be lucky to have camp. That's kind of the gist of it. I mean, whether or not he's the difference between you getting to this point or that point or the other, it's kind of neither here nor there. Like if if a team needs a shooter, they should take him. Yeah, and going back to Cam Reddish for a second, really the difference between Cam Johnson and Cam Reddish is 
you know, Reddish probably has some untapped athletic potential that he didn't really get to showcase. But they're the exact same height. They are five pounds apart. Uh, Cam Reddish is five pounds bigger. But if you want more of a sure thing and the best shooter in the draft, which I've seen both Cams referred to as, Cam Johnson's not a bad pick. So he might be a, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's not going to go somewhere in the teens. And I could also see the NBA's kind of age bias pushing him into the front of the second round where some team's going to move some money or a second round pick to get him and add him to the rotation. Yeah, that's the other aspect of the NBA that I can't wait to change when the one and done era is done because I don't, I don't co-sign with this. Oh, he's 22, 23. He's old. That's, that's not old. <laughs> I mean, compared to the rest of the field, yes, but you, there's nothing wrong with grabbing those players, especially if you have <laughs> one like Cam where he just, <laughs> I was like, man, uh, no, um, no, but, I'll tell you in a second. Oh, gotcha. But, He's a very smart kid, excellent shooter. He gives his best efforts on the boards. He gives his best efforts on defense. That's not to say that he is the best at either. He's not, but I think if you want somebody that will night in and night out at least give you that type of effort and, you know, doesn't do some of the things that I've seen with my team, once again, I'm not going to dive mm-hmm. into it too deep, but – if you want somebody that just knows the game well, has an excellent shot, and will do his best to do all the little things right, can't really go wrong with them. Yeah, and we can't really go right projecting him because there's always so much movement in the 20s of the draft and, you know, into the second round. You know, teams will just move players, move money, move picks, and – you also have this issue, you know, if we're looking at the board right now with Boston, OKC, Boston, Utah, Philadelphia, Portland, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Golden State, San Antonio, Milwaukee, finishing out the first round, I guarantee you no more than four of those picks are made by the teams that are actually drafting in those spots right now. Uh San Antonio would be another good fit for him. Yeah. Because San, Antonio's, San Antonio just gets the most out of players. But, yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to be fascinating, and the reason I laughed a second ago was I've got the Braves game on in the background, and Brian McCann hit a home run. This guy was trying to catch it in the outfield, went right through his arms and hit him right in the manhood. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it was – he was wearing some baggy cargo shorts, so he's probably okay, but it yeah. it uh definitely merited as much of a stifled laugh as I gave there. Um Yeah. His life likely flashed before his eyes. Yeah, everybody wants to be a hero, and then you realize, hey, that ball's still going about 90 miles an hour. (laughs) Brandon, does Luke May get drafted? No, unfortunately. Which I hate to say that. I feel like... (sighs) Honestly... I think the situation reminds me a little bit of Hansborough, not to say that he is of the same caliber that Hansborough was, but just kind of when I think about what Luke May is really good at 
and where I think he's maybe not the best at. It's a little similar, not completely, but it just something about it that maybe can't even be explained just reminds me of that situation. So I feel like if he finds his way onto an NBA roster through whatever means that he ends up going through, if he does, I don't think it would be for long. I think he's going to be one of those guys that goes overseas and just makes a crap load of money. Yeah, there are certainly worse fates, and the Hansborough comp is a good one because what you have is an undersized guy who doesn't have the vertical skills to play in the, you know, to get shots up over Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid or whoever have you, you know, guys who are 6'11 and have 32-inch verticals basically grow on trees in that league. So it's kind of tough, tough sledding for a guy like Luke who's, realistically probably six seven and you know i mean his game translates better to the college game than it does the pro game that's why he was back this year i think he could have snuck into the back of the second round last year just with how excellent he was i think he took a step back this year and i would be i would be shocked if he didn't end up in some nba camps but i'd also be shocked if he found himself in the nba for an extended period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I will say, yeah, I mean that that's completely fine. I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I know that us as college fans, we want that for bragging rights, but the reality is it, it's just hard to stay in the league. It's really, really hard. You have to, and I feel like the rosters are becoming so saturated, both with the actual NBA rosters and the G League, that it's just, I don't know how players do it. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, but the Heels will have three guys drafted and you know, we we had one that exceeded expectations as a one-and-done. We had one who will likely exceed his college production in the NBA as a one-and-done. And we got a grad transfer that was not on the radar into the first round, more than likely. So overall, definitely a good year for UNC Roy Williams and the program as they pitch the program against the Kentuckys and the Dukes of the world going forward. So exciting stuff there. Brandon, I'm sure we will probably be back to talk about this at some point next week when we do have landing spots and we can dive into those rosters a little bit more and see how the boys fit. What do you have coming to TarHillBlog.com this week, good sir? So I will inevitably be dropping something tomorrow about Jalen Wilson's decision. Whether good or bad, we will find out. Um... I haven't decided on what else I'm going to be working on yet, so stay tuned. But basically, a lot of this week and next week is going to be getting ready for the draft, so we'll have our coverage of that. Um, we'll let everybody know that doesn't feel like staying up and watching the draft, how things go. And hopefully, everybody will land in a situation that works for them. Absolutely. and. Always look forward to your insight on the website. So 
you've been killing it with the draft coverage. You had some of the combine stuff up about a month ago. So definitely give Brandon a follow at THB Brandon on Twitter. As for me, I have seen on Twitter that the Phil Steele magazines are arriving at people's mailboxes today, which means mine will be here soon, which means I can start to do my deep dives on UNC football opponents. Uh, they have a big recruiting weekend this week with their Showtime camp, which is the equivalent of the Fedora Freak Show, where generally you could expect a couple of commits to come out of it. Uh, we do need to play some catch-up with the AJ Beattie and Jacoby Criswell commitments as well. So we'll probably have a June recruiting podcast coming up next week, as well as getting into some football stuff, because now that UNC baseball had a, met its unceremonious end, it's Time to start gearing up. So for Brandon, for me, thank you all for listening. Go ahead, click subscribe on whatever you're listening to. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review. It will be read on the air. Tell us how great or terrible we are. Just do it with a five-star review. And until next time, go Heels.